Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. All right, if you're taking notes today, which I will say, this is like a good note-taking message, I think. This is like a good one to jot some stuff down on. Um, You can title this one, What is Love? What is Love? Every time I say that, I think of this reference that I feel like two people are going to get to a clip from a movie I've never seen called Night at the Roxbury. I don't know if it's an appropriate movie or not. I've never actually seen it. I've just seen a YouTube clip where they're like dancing and they're like this. And it's like, what is love? All right, cool. I think Jason Becker got the joke and nobody else, but I'm glad that you enjoyed it, Jason. All right, sweet. All right, Brian. Okay, cool. All right, just on my head. I had to get it out there. All right, I want to start off today by reading from 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 8. says this, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for the love that you have shown us. Lord God, we thank you that we can gather here together today and celebrate your love for us, that we can celebrate your generosity for us individually and for our church, Lord. And I just pray right now that as we spend some time in your scriptures, as we spend some time unpacking your words, as we spend some time uh, diving into what love means, God, I just pray that you would do deep work inside of our souls, that you would be transforming each and every one of us and drawing us closer to you and deeper into your love. In your name, amen. Amen. What is love? Uh, Clearly, it's something important. In 1 John, we see this declaration that's so bold that God is love. And we're going to unpack this a bit more later, but I think a mistake that we often make in our society today is that we read this and we read, love is God. And whatever our feelings and our emotions and our interpretation of love is, we make that God or the most important thing. But what we actually see in scripture is that God is love. He defines what true love is, and he actually is going to allow us to sort out and have a better understanding of our definitions of love. Love, it's clearly something important. In Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And here's how he responds. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And this isn't just said once. It's not just said and then never come back to. But in every single gospel or account of Jesus' life, there's four of them that we have in Scripture. uh, We see some variation of this phrase said and repeated that the greatest commandment is love. To love God and to love others. 
And we see it repeated again and again by the early church writers who, who we have in the New Testament who are writing these letters to encourage Christians and believers as they begin to live out this new and exciting way of following Jesus, encouraging again and again that love is the most important commandment. It is clearly something important, but I believe that it's something that we are often quite confused about. Today, we have like so many different meanings for love. Oh, I loved the new Marvel movie. Oh, man, I just love like cozying up with a good book and a nice tea and just relaxing. Man, I love my dog. He's just the best. Oh, I just love my country so much. I love Brad Pitt. I love, I don't know, whatever it is. You can pick whatever, but we use this word love to describe almost anything and everything that we have an affection towards. I think a great example of like how messy our definitions of love can be is the first time I said I love you to Emily, which was so quick. <laughs> Just, I had zero chill. And so I remember our first date, we went and got sushi. She threw up in the bathroom. I don't know if you want me to share that, babe. Sorry. Um, we went and got sushi, went for a bike ride. Emily fell, bruised her whole leg. Uh, we went to a Canada Day fireworks event, and Pastor Emma was heckling us uh, behind us, like, oh, hey, Emily and Nate, ooh, sitting together, and all this stuff, which is making us super uncomfortable. Uh, and then, you know, so didn't say it there. It was, I had a little more chill than that. Date two, uh, we went, we watched the movie. Then we both decided we were really feeling peppermint tea for some reason, and then found ourselves at the top of the parking uh, thing in Uptown, back before they had the big fence up. We could look over and had our first kiss. Again, we were moving pretty quick. Uh, third date, Alora Gorge. Fourth date, don't remember what we did, but I remember that we ended up walking around Uptown, and we were sitting on a bench, and I said to him, I was like, I love you. And the embarrassing part for her is she said it back, but... Uh, but we said, I love you. And I just laugh looking back on that because whatever I meant by saying I love you then is uh, honestly a joke in comparison to what I feel for Emily now. And I think that's the reality of it is that we have so many different variations and definitions of love and we have all these feelings and all these emotions and they change over time and they build and they grow. And, it's, and I think that what we want to do with this series, what we want to do by looking at this idea of the four loves is actually to begin to untangle these definitions to pull it apart piece by piece and get a better understanding of what we mean when we say, I love you, or I love this, or I have love for my neighbor, or I love God. See, the Greeks give us four words for love that we want to unpack throughout this series. The first one is storge. Everybody say it, storge. All right, say it with your chest, though. Storge. All right, there we go. Storge. That is familial love, or like our natural affections, best defined by a mother's love for their child. We'll get into it a bit more later. The second is philia. Everybody say philia. All right. That is brotherly love or friendship. That's why Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. The third is eros. Everybody say eros, which is romantic love. Uh, <laughs> and the fourth is agape, which is a deeply sacrificial 
serving love, a selfless love. So there's these four different definitions for the word love. Uh, the two that we actually see uh, used uh, most commonly in scripture with the word love attached to them would be philia and agape um, as things that are actually talked about more in depth within scripture. Uh, but these are these four different Greek words for love that we want to use to kind of help us bucket and unpack what love means so we can better understand what the Bible's talking about when it speaks of love. I think it's important to note that the first three loves, storge, philia, and eros, these are like the natural loves, the loves that just come to each and every person within the course of our lives. And they are beautiful and powerful and awesome, but they can also become toxic and damaging outside of the proper context and without the proper supports. See, when these loves aren't submitted to agape, to this higher love, this greater love, this sacrificial love, they can actually become destructive. Agape is the highest love. It's the love that is patient and kind. It's the love that doesn't boast, that's never arrogant or rude that uh, 1 Corinthians talks about. It is a love that is defined and exemplified in God's character. Agape is the love that God is when 1 John says God is love. See, agape is a love that can be most clearly defined by the cross, by the death of Jesus and his sacrifice so that we might live for eternity with him. Let me read 1 John 4, 8 to 10 again. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, agape is a selfless love. A love that asks for nothing in return. It is the love that God has shown us. And it's a love that, frankly, we can't muster up or stumble upon ourselves. It's a love that, really, we can only actually enact through receiving. And so I want to take a little bit of time right now. Uh, to actually unpack a bit of how we can avoid our human loves, our storge, our philia, our eros, our family relationships, our, our instinctual love, our friendships, our romantic loves, from actually becoming toxic in our lives by surrendering them to this higher love, this sacrificial love, the love that we receive through Christ. I want to use storge. I just love saying it. I want to use storge as our example today. Uh, we're going to be taking the next few weeks in this series and really diving a lot deeper into philia, into this brotherly friendship. Uh, we're going to be spending a lot more time diving into eros and some of the romantic love and the pitfalls that come with that and the beauty that comes with that and unpacking it a bit more. But today, I want to use storge as a bit of an example for what it looks like to surrender our natural loves, our natural feelings and emotions to the power of the sacrificial love that we receive from God. So what is storge? Everybody say storge. Just wanted to make sure you're awake. All right, storge. It's the most base and animal of the loves. I think sometimes when we say uh, the word like something's animal-like, we think maybe like more like the arrows kind of love. It's like that's a little more animalistic. But I, I really do believe that more than... Sometimes that's how people just say it. I'm not, I'm just saying what people say. 
All right, so I'm going to change that for next service. That's good. Noted. <laughs> but storge really is the most animal and natural of loves. Like the best definition or example of storge is the relation between a mother and a child. And it's something we can exhibit in humanity and in nature. In nature, you have uh, uh, an animal having their kids and nursing them and beginning to, uh, to start them on in life. And to an even greater extent, we see this within the human realm. But we also see that there's actually like a, a kind of unavoidable element to it. It's not just a love that we can choose, but it's actually a love that happens. A mother, once she's pregnant, must give birth to the baby. And while giving birth to that baby is a huge sacrifice and an act of love, once you're pregnant, pregnant, it just kind of has to happen. And a baby, yes, they need their mom, and there's a love in their need for their mother and their, uh, and, and their absolute desire for them, but the baby couldn't survive without their mom. And so we see this kind of base, familial, instinctual love that happens when we live life in community with others, when we have a family. See, storge is a love that happens to be there. Which is not to say that it's a bad thing, but it's the unnatural affection that builds with those who have been around. Um, a great example of this is I remember when I was growing up, my parents led all these Bible studies and stuff. And this is like my relationship with the kids of the other uh, people that my parents led the Bible study with. Like, they were nice. They were cool. I wouldn't say they were like my friends, like my best friends, not who I was going out of my way to hang out with, but every single Wednesday night, my parents were leading this Bible study. Those kids were coming over to our house. We spent that time together, and we had a mutual need. We needed to have some relationship. We needed affection. We needed to have friendship. We needed to have something to do over that time. And so because of the circumstances we found ourselves in, there was just like a natural affection that grows, and you begin to realize that you care about that person. It's like, I don't know, like I feel like back in the day, people used to have this with their male person a lot more. It's like, yeah, you give the mailman something at Christmas, you kind of see them, you sort of know who they are. I, I have no idea who our male person is now. I don't think that's really relevant anymore, but there's these ways that these affections are built up just kind of naturally within the course of life. It's the same natural affection that we have for animals, seeing their cute little eyes looking up at us, or, you know, it's like, oh, like my dog's my buddy, we're going for a walk together. Some sickos have this with cats, but... I don't get it. They're just psychopaths. And the beautiful things about this storge, about this instinctual love that we develop, this affection for others, is that it's not boastful or based on our tastes. It's not something that comes out of our, you know, mutual love for something. That's more where we find friendship. It's not something that we're going out of our way to choose any of these relationships or this affection. It's just the way that naturally, in order to survive in the world around us, you just end up kind of liking the person who sits beside you at work. You just end up having a deep appreciation and a need and a respect for the people in your family. You just kind of end up caring about the people who are in your life. And it's beautiful because it opens us up to the opportunity for new friendships. It opens us up to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone. It opens us up to be challenged by those who are different than us. But Storge has a dark side. So you might hear all this and think, oh, this is great. Natural affection, that's awesome. That's what we need for happiness. That's what we need for successful relationships. 
but we see that it begins to fall apart quickly when we put storge up on a pedestal. See, one way it falls apart is never-ending expectation. See, this storge is always kind of around, something that we all expect to see. We expect our mom to love us. We expect to have a relationship with our siblings. We expect to get along well with our coworkers. We expect for there to be a mutual affection with the people we rub shoulders with in life. And when we actually mix that expectation with our insecurity and our entitlements, we can end up being these sponges that just keep soaking up and soaking up and soaking up the affection of others around us without never actually feeling satisfied. See, we can become the kind of intolerable people that go through life constantly looking for affection and never finding enough. And our need for love and this love itself can be actually come be, become something deeply toxic. It can make us incredibly annoying to those around us. I experienced this uh, when I was in high school. I was an insecure kid. And I floated around from being in the musical, to being on the chess team, to being in the debate club, to being on the football team, to being on the rugby team, to doing almost everything I could to try and find a place to fit in. And I struggled so much in building those friendships and relationships because I had all these expectations uh, that they would satisfy my insecurities, that they would overcome uh, uh, what I felt like was missing in my life. And I put way too much burden. And this love was actually became toxic and unhealthy. And ultimately, it would drive people away from me. We see a dark side of storge when it leads to rudeness and anger. There's this kind of idea that, oh man, like, you know, I just need a place where I'm not on. I just need a place where I'm not putting on a face. I just need a place where I can really be myself. So when I get home at night, like, you know, I don't want to have to pretend to be somebody I'm not. I, you know, I don't want to have to pretend to, to, to act with certain decorum. You know, we have a really good relationship, so we can joke like that. We can tease each other like that. I can say those things. And what happens is this familiarity that we find in this affectionate love actually just ends up becoming an excuse to let out the worst parts of ourselves to be rude, to be angry, to put down our spouse. I think it's so funny that the people we spend the most time with, often the people we do truly love the most, are some of the people that we are the harshest to, the most critical to, the most demanding of. And see, it's this same uh, love, the same affection, the same familiarity that is coming out and rearing its ugly head as it combines with the anger and bitterness uh, and brokenness that exists within us. And, and, and what happens is we can't hold it in forever. We can't just like be good all the time. And so those who will see us the most get the worst of us. See, it falls apart when we find jealousy and possessiveness, which again, uh, some people might think of that more with eros and romantic love, but you see it with siblings. You see it with parents. You see it with close friends as somebody begins to learn and grow and develop in their lives. You see it when somebody gets married and they kind of leave the nest, that there's this jealousy and resentment of somebody going away from the familiar, of change to the environment that you're used to. And we see this dark side in our need to be needed when we put our value in our ability to help others. This is when parents, instead of actually raising their kids to leave the nest, instead of actually raising their kids to be self-sufficient, find their own value in their ability to help their kids and never actually give them the space to grow and to flourish. 
We can find it corrupted in our need to be needed. So C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, which, spoiler alert, was used heavily in preparation for this message, says this. He says, affection produces happiness if and only if something more and something other than affection is added. And that something more is agape. That something more is this deep, overwhelming, sacrificial, selfless love of God that we can receive. And before we start going down the path in our heads of, okay, well, I just got to like be more agape then. I just got to be more sacrificial. I just got to be more selfless. I just got to be more loving to my family. That's the trick here. It's not. See, agape, this sacrificial love, isn't something that we can muster in our own power. It's not something we can come up with in our own nature. See, the actual antidote to the dark side of our loves, the dark side of our emotions and our feelings, is not to will ourselves to love sacrificially, but is to receive the sacrificial love of God. And 1 John says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loves us us. See, see, this never-ending expectation that we put on those around us doesn't get satisfied by us being more sacrificial. It's satisfied by us understanding that we don't need to expect everything from those around us because we've already received enough in the love of Christ. See, the rudeness and anger that flares up with the people we love the most, it isn't taken care of by us just being like, okay, gotta be more sacrificial, but it's taken care of by the overwhelming love of God transforming us and bringing peace to our our souls and ridding us of that anger. Our jealousy is wiped away when we know that God has an overwhelming, immense, never-ending love for us. Our need to be needed is satisfied in knowing that we can never do enough before God, yet he loves us anyways. See, coming out of this place today, I don't want us to be thinking, okay, I just got to do better. I just got to love better. I just got to be more sacrificial. I want us to leave this place this morning understanding that all we need to do is sit back and receive. That what we need to do is actually spend more time in silence and solitude, more time reading scripture, more time in worship, just letting this overwhelming, immense love of God seep deep within our souls. Near the end of this book, C.S. Lewis is writing about this agape love. And he talks, it's funny, he talks about all the ways we try and justify ourselves. It's like, all right, I think God loves me because I please him the most. And I'm like, wait, no, shoot, that's wrong. Okay, I think God loves me because I'm humble and I don't think I please him the most. It's like, ah, oh, shoot, no, that's still wrong. Okay, now he loves me because I know that I'm supposed to be humble and not to, and it's so hard for us to just admit that none of it is on us. He writes, he says, Grace substitutes a full, childlike, and delighted acceptance of our need, a joy in total dependence. We become jolly beggars. A total dependence that we can find joy in. So I want to take a minute right now. If you're here and you're like, hey, I've actually never made a decision to follow Jesus. I've never received this love. I just want there to be an opportunity for you to do so. So with every head bowed, with every eye closed, we're just gonna take a minute. If you're here and you're like, hey, I don't really know a lot about Jesus, let me tell you. He's a guy, he lived a few thousand years ago and he died. He was fully God and fully man. 
and he died a really painful death. And in doing so, he took on the consequences and the burden and the weight of every mistake you've ever made. And then he came back to life, defeating death, defeating our brokenness, and in doing so, creating a way for us to have an everlasting life with him. So if you're here today and you're saying, I want to receive that sacrificial love. I'm tired of feeling bitter. I'm tired of feeling broken. I'm tired of striving to maintain healthy relationships on my own. I just want to give you a chance right now to just make that decision. So nobody's looking around. Everybody's heads are closed. Eyes are closed. Heads are down. Uh, doesn't need to be a manipulative moment. But why don't you just raise a hand right now if that's you. Just right now. Raise a hand if you're saying, hey, I want to make that choice to follow Jesus. I want to make that choice to admit that I've got some brokenness in me, but I want to receive this love. Awesome. I'm just going to pray for anybody making that decision here today. God, I just thank you for the love that you have for us. I just thank you for your tenderness towards us, the care that you have for us, God. And I just pray right now for anybody making this choice in the room today to follow you, Lord, that right now they would just experience the power of your presence, that they would know that you are with them and you love them, Lord. God, I just pray that you would put the right people in their lives, you would put the right resources in their life, Lord God, as they begin to live out this journey of following after you, uh, they would just be supported in the ways they need to be. In your name, amen. Amen. Why don't you guys stand up today? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go back into worship. Let's just take a moment right now and just spend a minute just receiving that love. That's something we do pretty often in our services, but I really believe that we need constant reminders of the love that God has for us, constant moments of just, hey, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to lay down any expectation I have that I've deserved any of this. And I'm just going to receive that love of God. I'm just going to let it wash over me and transform me from the inside out. So I'm going to pray. And then wherever you are, let's worship. God, I just thank you so much for the love that you have for each and every one of us. God, I pray right now that you would just begin to move inside each of us, Lord God, that you would just stir something in our spirits. You would transform us from the inside out, Lord God, as we surrender before you. God, I just lay down my insecurity. We lay down our bitterness. God, we lay down our angers and our frustrations, our need to be needed, Lord God. We surrender it all before you and say, God, you are good. You are enough. I've done nothing to earn this, Lord God, but I thank you that you have sacrificed for me. pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.